Welcome to today's episode of The Square, a curious conversation with Jill Elliott. I am joined by Emily Strain, who's the Director of Workplace Strategy. And of course, Ms. Elliott, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. I'm very excited for this conversation. So you are uh, an artist. You are the founder of The Color Kind, but you have like a ton of different hats. Um, you have been a creative strategist. You're an entrepreneur. I'm just curious, so much of what you've done is in the creative space. Why, why do you do what you do? What do you find fulfilling about being in this space? Um, I am, have always been like equal parts, loving the art, the color and design that goes into a design process to any kind of product, to art, to fashion, um, to film. Um, but I'm also like a huge nerd when it comes to the business side of things and looking at numbers. And so the intersection of those two is what I really love. I love learning about process and operations, um, whether that's in a studio practice or in a business and figuring out how you can move levers within a process to tweak what your design outcome is or um, tweak what your approach to design is and drive a business result. So I really, for me, I'm like super passionate about the intersection of those two spaces. Jill, I loved what you said there about the intersection between business and creativity. Do you ever find those things to be in conflict with each other? Like as a creative professional, sometimes, you know, you run into deadlines and financials. How do you navigate that? I think there is a natural friction that exists between those two, but the beauty is really in figuring out how they can work together. Um, when I managed a big team, when I met you at Fossil, um, I used to have this conversation a lot with designers who were frustrated with a deadline or a design brief or saying like, I just want to be freely creative. And that's an art practice. That's what artists get to do. We all, as a designer, try to have a hobby maybe that fills that need for us. But when we're in a business that needs to drive volume and hit deadlines, we don't always get that luxury. So um, the friction is natural, but I actually enjoy the friction. Like I think sometimes even in my hobby art practice now, I find that I need to set some constraints. Like I can only work in three colors or I can only work on something um, of a certain size. Because if I sit down, I try to make something every day. If I sit down without any rules, I almost get overwhelmed in the process. So I think that sometimes those two can work together to create something really beautiful. Yeah, it's like the parameters, right, of the business or the, the size, the boundaries yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the color kind and, and what you guys do on a daily basis. Sure. So the color kind, um, I founded a few years ago when I was like in a big life transition. I had just left Fossil where I had been the chief creative officer for multiple years. I had spent most of my career there over 20 years. And what I really loved about that role was the process of interacting with creatives day in and day out. And I found that when I myself would sit down to create, um, I was finding this like joy and calm and stress relief from it that similar to what I eventually found in meditation, but at that time in my life, it wasn't available to me in a meditation practice. And going back to that, like me being equal parts research nerd and creative, I started to research, like, is there something to having a creative practice that does benefit you mentally, physically, spiritually? And it does. There was at the time, like medical journal research, it wasn't super accessible. Um, but today it's something that's a well-covered 
aspect of um, especially healing. Um, it does all kinds of things to stave off aging in our brains. It help us, helps us problem solve and think more innovatively. It lowers cortisol, reduces stress and anxiety, and boosts our joy. And when I would talk to friends about, like, come over and paint, they were like, I'm not creative like you. I don't know how to do it. And so the color kind was born um, of a way to be an on-ramp and an encourager to help people pursue their own creative practice as a hobby. I did that at the beginning through um, workshops and teaching and writing. Um, and today I do it mainly through writing and then I've transitioned into becoming more of an artist and designing some products that will help people um, experience that in their home and find their own creative practice. So that's really what I was excited to share um, was that creativity doesn't, it's not for the beautiful piece that you create. It's also for the process and the beauty that can come within you just from doing the process. So the, the journey, the so journey. Much, not so much the destination. The yeah. I love that yeah. too, Jill. I mean, this has been a really stressful year um, for a lot of people with COVID. Do you find that having a creative outlet, a creative practice can really help um, reduce stress and anxiety? For sure. Um, you can, I, I did a workshop actually with a lot of interior designers and had them just do like five minutes of sketching and have people open with breath work and then check in with, the, with themselves at the end. And you can see people physically settle into their bodies in a different way. Um, Emily, I know your, your sons too. I think it's so visible in children, especially if my daughter comes home from school and has had a stressful day. Um, she's not always super interested in creating because that's what mom does and she doesn't want to be forced into it. But if it's something special and she feels um, invited to use my tools, I can see her um, just release a lot of the stress or the worry or the anger out onto the paper and she walks away from it just a little bit freer and different. So it's so interesting um, if you do start your own creative practice to kind of check in with yourself when you sit down. How am I feeling? Like what's one word that I'm feeling right now? And then once you've done five, 10, 15 minutes, it doesn't take a long time. How do you feel at the end of it? Um, some days you might still be frustrated because it just doesn't always go smoothly, <laughs> but you still, you will find your flow and kind of settle in and find the things in it that make it fun for you and keep bringing you back to your creative practice. It, I gotta say, especially when you have kids trying to create on a, on a daily schedule, that's a pretty tall order. Are there, <laughs> are there some kind of key things that you know and maybe in terms of setting up a space or having a box that you go to or is there some key elements to making that a, a daily habit for sure um you know as with any habit i think it's most easy if you attach it to something that's already a habit that you're doing every day so for me at the beginning of this journey which was about five years ago six years ago that i started creating most days i don't do it daily but most days um, I did it every morning with my coffee before anybody else in my house was up. So it was, I set a little space on my kitchen counter with my art supplies. Um, so they were always visible. Um, I did it with my coffee. So it was a consistent time of day. My supplies were visible, which was like a great inviting reminder to get back to the work. I set a timer, just 10, 15 minutes. Um, and I worked on really small pieces of paper at the beginning, five by seven little watercolor cards which just kept it approachable. The time wasn't huge. Um, and then I also had, um, I've always been a collector of images. You can see on my wall behind me, I've always had some sort of pin board at, 
my office and at my home studio. And so if I was stuck that day and I didn't know where to start, I would just copy something. And, you know, in a creative practice, I I think there's no shame in copying. It's not like we're trying to profit off this work or sell, but sometimes it just takes a jumping off point to get you started. So those are the things that I always encourage people to do is attach it to another habit, consistent time, short amounts of time, have your supplies visible, keep a bank of inspiration, and then just try to do it most days and just keep going. Don't get bogged down if you miss one day. Yeah, I liked what you, exactly. I liked yeah. that you acknowledged, Jill, that there can be kind of um, like an intimidation to this. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned, you know, starting small, like with a five by seven um, and creating that consistency. How would you, um, what would be your advice to somebody about kind of getting over the fear of getting started? Because I know for yeah. me, to, even as a creative myself, sometimes I can be a little intimidated by that. You know, um, fear in the artistic process is something I'm not sure you ever get over. Like I'm, I've done this most days and I'm still a little fearful of the process. Um, and when I read the practices of other artists, um, even like there's a great exhibit at the DMA right now, John Gree, that just is like one of the only retrospectives that's been about his life. But when you read about him, um, he burned like all of his notes, all of his practice work, anything that he didn't feel was up to what he wanted his image to be, he destroyed. And I think that comes from a place of fear and control. So even professional artists that spend their life in pursuit of art deal with fear on a daily basis because it is scary. There's no path here. There's no right or wrong way to make art. Um, But if you focus on just showing up every day and the positive emotions that do come out of it. Like for me, I love color and shape and mixing color combinations together in a unique way. So I may hate the piece that I create. Most days I actually hate what I create, but there's something in it that makes me happy. Maybe a color combination that I want to explore for something later, or I did something accidentally with my brush that seems really interesting. And I want to try to do something with that later. So I think just acknowledging that fear is a healthy part of any creative process um, and then deciding to just get on with it anyway is the best way to do that. So, you know, once I get into the practice of creating most days, um, how how do I let that kind of stick with me and, and permeate the rest of the day? I know that there's a lot of vulnerability that comes in being creative. And, and as you were saying, even pieces that you don't like, that you find just a little element that kind of stands out to you. How do you let that influence the rest of your day? I think um, some of the ways that it has influenced me is I start to notice things in a different way from my daily creating. creating. Um, I've been a creative my entire life, whether it was at work or taking art classes or art history. But once I actually started the physical practice of making every day, there's things that just started to pop out to me in a different way, like an interesting color combination on a neighborhood walk in leaves. It's not even something, you know, in a field that I'm really super interested in exploring, but there's shapes or colors that I might see. Um, If it's cooking, that's your you know, your practice that you try to do a few times a week and really like be creative in how you approach that. You'll start to notice different smells or flavors when you're eating out at a restaurant and get super passionate about trying to recreate that at home. So I think that having some type of daily practice is a great way to just invite a little bit more curiosity into your life and help you to explore the things that are already around you um, every day in a new way and just notice small details 
And for me, especially like little moments of beauty, um, which especially in a year like we just all lived through, I think is something really great to make some space for in your days. I love that idea of fostering curiosity. Yeah. It's become easier with kids to foster <laughs> curiosity because they are full of it. <laughs> okay, so Jill, we've been talking a lot about creating for yourself and the benefits um, that that can bring um, to your mental health and well-being. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about creating for someone else, creating for a client um, or for the human experience. Um, what advice would you have or how do you approach like building consent and getting others to kind of buy um, your creativity and the direction that you want to go? Um, I love this question. This is what my whole professional career has been in is building consent and buy-in around design, whether it was when I was in-house at Fossil or today, like as an outside design consultant. Um, I think it really starts with understanding the problem that you're trying to solve first, because design in a corporate setting at the end of the day is really about solving a problem, whether that's a business need um, or what your next campaign is going to look like or what a space is going to look like. There's so many problems that you have to solve. So getting really clear on what that problem is and building consensus around the problem is the first um, step I always take. Because if people think we're solving something different, if everybody in the room thinks we're solving some different problem, we're not gonna come up with a solution that works for everybody. Yes. So building consensus <laughs> yeah. around the problem and then showing like rough steps throughout, inviting people. I love a vision board. I love showing rough ideas and swipe and tears and color swatches, no matter what the project is for a product or an ad campaign or a space um, because people respond, you know, like problem solving is usually a lot of words and you can get pretty close, but visually is where you really start to see like, okay, this person has a visceral reaction, good or bad to a certain color or a shape. So I'm going to lean in or go way away from that. Um, also the process of having it as a vision board that's loose and rough, I think lets everybody feel like they're a part of the process. Um, people want to be creative, even if that's not their day-to-day -day role in a corporate environment. But getting to be in that creative process helps them come along on the journey. And then, you know, next presentation where it's more formal and we started to tie some things down and make some decisions, um, just to keep confirming all the way. And then, um, and then I try to go away, you know, much easier as a consultant than it was when I was in-house, but I like to bring the client on, you know, 80% of the journey and then go away and really get heads down and figure out again, like what the process looks like that's going to bring this to fruition better than even what we were talking about throughout the design process. How is it going to come to life even more magically than it did on a mood board? So, um, and then showing them at the end at, and just talking about, I think hindsight feedback is a really important part of the process too, because I'm sure you guys know this. As soon as you finish a project, there's something that's wrong with it that we yeah. didn't know at the time or that we don't want to do again. And I love to close that process right after, whether it's a photo shoot for a client or a space or whatever it is, I love to close the loop pretty quickly after so that you hear the feedback and then it's just in your mind the next time that you work with work on a similar type ex exercise or experience. What, what about when you hit roadblocks? I mean, because it's it, it to your point about the journey it's it's a those journeys always have you know potholes and and roadblocks that you kind of have to navigate through how do how have you found um or, or what ways have you found that are successful to kind of navigate those 
Um, a lot of times I will kind of take a pause in the process. I found if we try to work through a roadblock, um, you know, creatives are like, thankfully we are very emotional beings. And so if we are met the roadblock, for better or for worse, yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse, but you get, so if we are met with a roadblock that we weren't anticipating, sometimes I'm like, okay, let's take a break and maybe take a day, you know, and just kind of go away and then come back with like, a, okay, let's go back to the problem. We are, we heard this, this is what we're trying to solve. Are we still all aligned on that? Okay. Yes. No. Um, we all agreed to, you know, this part of the vision board, what's changed since the last time we met or what are you not liking in what we've shown you so far? And the thing that's, I think, so challenging and so exciting about design and the creative process is that it could be as simple as the language that somebody's presenting the work in or their demeanor or, um, you know, I've been in design presentations where my designer or myself, we might be like, here it is, it's perfect, it's done. There's nothing, you know, more inviting to pick something apart than somebody presenting their work like it's perfect and can't be yeah. touched. <laughs> so, so much of successful creative design in in the corporate world is about communication and the interpersonal skills to read body language and to know your audience. Um, we got to where, you know, with prep people like, okay, we're presenting to the finance team today. You know what they want to know first is that we hit margin and that we're not going to be paying these like crazy shipping fees. Start with that because they don't actually care what the product looks like <laughs> as much. Um, but start with the things that your audience needs to know. And those are the things I think having that marketing and business background really led me to approach design in a different way like tell the people what they want and then most of the time they'll let us go make our cool stuff yeah. and kind of leave <laughs> us alone but if we don't answer their needs first it's a mess you know yeah. well i totally agree with that jill and i i want to ask you um when you're talking to your team internally or when you're managing creatives what are some good tips with how to manage creatives because i know they can be a little bit of a challenge about. <laughs> <laughs> to keep to keep them on track and to keep them managed so how do you um find balance in letting them create and keeping people on task uh, and yeah, and collaborating in that way um, I always try to, you know, as methodical as a process as I just defined where we, you know, go through these steps. Um, I also want the design team to explore things that weren't on the vision board that nobody else ever saw the light of day, because I think a lot of times um, what's captured on a brief in a vision board is going to get you pretty close. Um, but it also is going to get you somewhere pretty expected. And so making sure that my team had um enough free time to design. Like, for example, if we had a line plan and we needed to design 20 new products for a season, I would always fight with the merchandising team to keep five of those open. Um, like, we'll give you 15 that you know have to drive 80% of the volume, but the other five, let us bring new ideas to the table. Don't tell us it needs to be this, 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 because that's not very creative. And a lot of times, out of those open design SKUs would come something that was the start of the next big trend. So I'm a really big advocate for hitting the business needs and making sure our designers know that, you know, we're in business to hit our numbers and to drive business, but we're also um, here to explore and have some creative time. And that's super important to me, whether it's in art direction, in art, um, setting aside time to just try new practices that I don't really know how they're gonna work out is just as important as working in a medium that I'm super comfortable with. 
so the role of vulnerability do you find that as you as you practice it um in a, in in the daily creation of art and in leading teams do you find that that it becomes easier or is um something that's more natural to do for me i have always been a leader in a person that leads with like authenticity and vulnerability and very transparent communication with my team. Um, if there's a problem or I'm concerned about something, you know, most of the time I just try to be very honest because I think people are resilient and they want to jump in and figure out how to help things. But what I did get from my artistic practice um, for a long time creatively as a leader, I wasn't making things anymore. And I think I learned better how to give feedback after I started making again and realizing like how personal anything that you make is. And for somebody to do that day in and day out and have in any corporate environment, like every creative is pushing out so much content, products, color swatches, whatever it is. And everybody and their dog has an opinion about that. And it's a really, I mean, there's not a process more vulnerable than that corporately, I think, than design. And so figuring out, getting back to that making process myself helped me figure out how to not only give better feedback, I think, and honor their process, um, like talk to them about what I do like that they did, even if it's the process or something new that they explored, but not necessarily the end design. And then it also helped me partner better with some of the other teams that needed to give feedback to say, you know, that's not a productive way to give feedback like you telling us you just don't like something is doesn't really matter you know but if you can tell us like typically this color doesn't sell for whatever reason or that shape of something is always more expensive to manufacture we can get closer to solving the problem together but coming in and you know everybody having an opinion that's very personal is not always helpful. So I think getting back to my own creative practice did help me figure out how to put some guardrails around protecting that creative practice and protecting that vulnerability um, and helping designers and creatives feel still celebrated in the process, even if ultimately their design um, maybe doesn't get brought to life or needs a heavy tweak. I mean, that really resonates with me, Jill, because I feel like I'm now at a part in my career where I'm managing other creatives and I'm not creating as much. And so, and I, and I completely understand what you're saying is you sort of forget the vulnerability that comes with putting your ideas out there. And so creating yourself kind of makes you more empathetic in a way to understand what other creatives are, are putting out there and then to better manage and, and refine um, the things that they're creating. So I really appreciate that. I think that's great insight. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned when you're doing the, the, the practice of, of daily creation um, that, you know, sometimes you'll copy and do other things. Are there, are there kind of some go-to sources for inspiration for you? Um, you know, I say for everybody, you're probably already on the places where your inspiration cam comes from. I spend like an insane amount of time on Instagram and Pinterest. And I just find myself like saving things that I'm drawn to. So if I'm stuck, you know, I always have something on my phone um, that I can use. I love Domino Magazine for color combinations, particularly just to see some new things that people are, you know, if they're trying it in a big space in their home, I can probably make a five by seven piece of art off of it and find something new and interesting. But I, 
you know, I think it just depends on what that is for you. If you're a film buff or you read the New York Times or whatever your thing is, there's probably something in there that sparks you creatively and you need to just start to like pull that thread. What is that? Why am I always drawn to this? Why do I always love this type of writing or looking at travel photos or whatever that is and figure out for yourself like what that means and how it might come into a creative practice. Um, if you love travel photos, maybe you want to be a travel blogger, but probably you should be taking some pictures yeah. at the least, you know, like um, just seeing something through a different lens is super interesting. But I think the things that we're interested in and where we get ideas are usually really close to where we are already because we're naturally attracted to them. So just figuring out ways to sit with that for a little bit and figure out what it means to your practice is where I would start. Real quick as a follow-up, I'm, I'm, you mentioned early on meditation plays a role also in, in some of your creation and inspiration. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, when I started art, I was like a meditation flunky maybe like I was really interested in the practice um but I started at a time that I was like you know I was going through a bunch of changes um I was thinking of leaving my job I was in the middle of a move I was we I was going through a divorce and so it wasn't like a super easy time to really just like sit and be still with your thoughts um yeah. and so I started painting because it was like you know, the things that I do love, color and playing with shape and new um, materials. And I found that the process brought a lot of the benefits that I was reading meditation could bring, like that it got me out of my head. And at the time I needed my hands to be making and it brought a little bit of joy. And then slowly over time, I've become like a super meditator. I love meditating um, most days, at least once, sometimes, you know, especially during the last year. Um there might be days that I meditated two or three times just to get through. Um, and for me, I always do guided meditation. I love um, a lot of the female teachers on Insight Timer who use um, imagery to really guide you through something. Like maybe you're in the middle of a waterfall or something because I'm a very visual person. That for me is really draws me into meditation. I can imagine myself in an environment and I can imagine what it feels like and it sparks my creative my creativity just by having that time to kind of shut down and think and a lot of times I'll come out of that meditation with an idea about something that I want to explore next in my creative journey. I think that's so important to realize that creativity doesn't have to show up in just one way, right? Like you don't have to create art you can dance or cook or do all different kinds of things and you know you don't have to meditate to find peace you can do art or you can do other things so I think it's awesome that you found you know what works for you um to you know kind of get your creativity out there yeah I think it's so important in today's um culture like we're consuming all the time you know that iPhone is great and all these apps are great because we have access to a wonderful camera and all these things that we can be creating, but most of the time we're using it to consume. And so flipping that model just a little bit to get in the habit of using technology or art tools or cooking or whatever it is to create something, it's so good for our souls. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. I have a total random question. What do you do with all the artwork that you create? Oh yeah, good question. Where does it go? Um, I mean, I have bins in my studio closet of stuff that I've created and I will sometimes, um, you know, a lot of it actually goes in the recycle bin cause it's like 
I did it and it served its purpose and I'm done. But a lot of times I keep all of all of it because I like just love creativity for creativity's sake. So I might be painting for a while and then I'll get into collage. And something that I painted that I don't really like in its original interpretation, if I tear it up or punch circles into it, it might be something really cool on a collage. So I tend to save stuff. Um, I have boxes organized by year where I create and just keep them in that box. Some of them um, make it to my wall <laughs> behind me and they might turn into like a wallpaper pattern or a product design that I'm working on. Um, some of them might make it into some a project that I'm working on with a client. Um, but that I try not to put that pressure on the stuff I'm doing the daily creative practice for because again, back to that fear and vulnerability. If I think every time I sit down to make every day, it's got to turn into something, I get in periods of like all of a sudden it's been weeks since I painted. So I try to separate like what I'm doing daily and I keep them in a box and there might be something that I'll explore later or it becomes something different. And then once I feel like I've gotten what I need from it, I'm definitely not afraid to recycle and get rid of my art. I think yeah. having stuff that doesn't speak to you anymore in your space is like not healthy <laughs> or the creative process or for your joy or anything. Agreed. It's it takes... fascinating when you go back and look at a year too. Like where yeah. was I five years? So this is what I was yeah. creating. It's improved so yeah. much. <laughs> um, I am, I'm, you know, I'm curious. I, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but there's, I, I had a really good friend um, that was a fellow filmmaker that he spent a summer making a film and everybody knew that this is what was going to happen. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a distressed artist, um, but they were, they made a film over the course of a summer, they screened it once and then they burned the negatives. They actually shot it on film. And I don't know if they never, if they didn't think he'd actually do it, but he, but he did. But uh, the reason why I bring that up is I, I think there's this, this, um, oftentimes when you're trying to create things, it's just, it's always kind of another thing you're creating. And I like the idea that there's something that you create it's a purpose and it might be a purpose of I just needed to express this emotion and then I'm done with it and I I get rid of it I there's something kind of I don't know weirdly special about that freeing yeah <laughs> yeah it is it's freeing it's very freeing to not like if a lot of times you know I say that I create most days and honestly I say that most days because there's periods where I won't create anything for three weeks really I won't create any art I might be creating like a meal or something different but in those periods when I'm there, it's usually tied to when I also have something um, big do professionally that I need to create for. So I'm constantly trying to create on demand. And then I put that same pressure to my hobby practice. Like, oh, okay, gosh, I don't know what I'm gonna paint. What's the point? It's not gonna be that good. And so I'm constantly having to remind myself, like, it doesn't have to be good. It can go, I can paint it and it can go in the trash today. It does not have to stick around, but it's the, emotion that I'm going to feel and like it's going to calm that fear if I just sit down and do it and show that even when I'm not sure what's going to happen and even though it might go in the trash I still showed up and I still made something and that's the point not actually that it went in the trash or that it got framed on my wall those are not why I think having a creative hobby practice is so good that doesn't work at all for you know creativity on deadline <laughs> that'll get you in trouble personal but they go professional. hand in hand if you're doing that like if you're doing the hobby creative practice and you're kind of like i don't know greasing the wheels every day and just keeping yourself in the habit of making it kind of i've found does take the pressure off professionally too because you're like 
I already painted like five things today. You know, of course I can figure out this one thing and it doesn't seem like the one thing has to be perfect. It's like I can create a few iterations of this until I get to the thing that is perfect. So for me, I find like they often, if I'm out of whack in one, I'm not doing good work professionally. Um, So it's really like that balance of just forcing yourself to do it every single day, (laughs) most days. Building creative (laughs) confidence. Yeah. Yeah. So I am I'm curious, and Emily, you can you can definitely chip in on this as well. Um, parenthood is something that um, is just a whole nother ball game. Let's just be honest, and we were completely unprepared for it. But especially in the last year, because so much of work has been happening from home, I feel like my kids have um, good, bad, and different become part of my daily practice of being creative or doing creative work. Um, I I having come back to work the last several months, there's parts of that that I miss. There's parts of it that I don't, <laughs> but, but there's parts of that that I miss. How does, how does being a parent um, play a role in your creative expression and being an artist? Um, you know, for me, I don't know that it's changed my um, approach as an artist except in like one really important way. And that's, I spoke about this a little bit earlier, but my daughter, and I don't know if all kids are like this, but my daughter, if I sign her up for an art class and you know, we're gonna make rainbows and it's all very structured, she's like, I don't do art like you do. Why did you sign me up for this? (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. But the minute I have like all my nice studio supplies out and I say, these are like, you cannot use these, these are, whatever they're too hard for you to use or whatever she's into it you know um so i've found that curiosity of her like being a little bit like you don't think i can figure this out um is so freeing you know to approach creativity or work in general with the confidence of a nine-year-old <laughs> it's kind of um, and then there's also just, um, this freedom you know like where i said I'm not afraid to throw my artwork away. Think about how much art comes home from school. Yes, (laughs) They are creating all the time, you know, and they're in the habit of like, they just create, 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 create. They don't stop to think, is that good? Is it bad? They're just in the habit of creating. So I think that in a lot of ways, um, me being around her more, uh, she did school from home until this Tuesday. She just went back in person. She has asthma. So we've been like very, very conservative, but me seeing the confidence that she approaches art Mm. and learning some new math thing that I don't even, you know, third grade math, I don't remember, (laughs) um, is very freeing. It helps. It's helped me to, I think, get out of my own way a little bit and take risks in a way, um, that I wasn't excited about. And then conversely, like the things that she thinks are available to her for a career, um, because she's been around me and some of the weirdo things I do for work, being on set for a photo shoot or talking to a bunch of women entrepreneurs about all the businesses we're running, the exposure that she's had to that is so different than what we grew up with. You know, it's going to be interesting to see not only like what we take away from this as parents, but what they take away from this um, as kids, what they got to see that we never got to see our parents work in the intimate way that they've gotten to see us in the past year. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so true. I'm curious, Jill, what's next for you? Like what's coming up next with the color kind? Where are you? Give us a little insight as to where you're headed. Sure. Um, so I'm working on a wallpaper launch right now. I did a home home remodel last summer um, and couldn't, 
I kept looking at all the, I wanted something really fun and colorful for a powder back here at our house. But um, I also like order and trying to find <laughs> something that's like happy and colorful, but also organized. I could not find anything. So I ended up taking one of my paintings and printing my own wallpaper oh, cool. um, awesome. and had a bunch of people like, where can I buy that wallpaper? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I guess I can make some wallpaper. So um, I have a line coming out with a friend in New York of some more nature-based uh, watercolor painted wallpaper. And then I'm going to have just a small collection of my own just to test this one pattern. Um, and I'm starting to explore um, getting back into product design as well, what that means for the color kind. Um, what are some products that are functional but also pretty for your home? So I have one that I'm working on right now. I have no idea about how long that'll take to launch because it's a completely new category for me. Um, and then I still do some workshops, some teachings, and consulting. So, um, But I'm just excited to explore like think for a while the color kind was all about inviting others into their own creative practice and I love that and I still cover that from a writing standpoint but I'm excited to also imagine how the color kind can bring some of those moments of color and joy and calm into your own studio or home um, and just come to life in a different way. Okay Jill so finish this thought for me. Creativity is essential. I think creativity is something um, that people falsely believe you're born with or you're not. And actually, everybody is creative. You just need to invite it in. And it's a great way to get in touch a little bit more with your purpose and to express yourself uniquely in the world. And the world sure needs that right now. Oh, I can think Perfect. of no better place <laughs> to leave it. Jill, thank you so much for, for joining us. Emily, thank you for being here. Yeah. And thank you for listening or watching. If you are watching this on the YouTube channel, then you're not getting the full conversation. You're getting maybe half of it. So make sure you check out the audio podcast in the description link below so you can hear the full conversation. Thank you again, Jill, for joining us. Emily, that was wonderful. It's always fun to have you co-hosting. Thank you. And thank you for watching or listening. Make sure you check out the next episode of The Square. Yeah.